This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! It's the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast episode 12. Ooh, that makes the uh, next episode episode number 13. Uh, I must write a note uh, to remind myself not to record that under a ladder uh, because of some irrational superstitious reason uh, my name is rodders i am a stand-up comic uh, but more importantly in this context i am the promoter of the stand and deliver comedy club we live smack bang in the center of reading up above smoking billy's rib house uh, we have a show every second thursday of every month and the old special show as well our guest today is Danny Ward. He's played Standard Deliver twice and he can be seen up and down the country doing the much bigger clubs as well. Is a fantastic act. He's particularly well known for his emceeing, uh, i.e. the bit at the start where the comedian goes on, uh, warms up the crowd, does the crowd work and uh, then it makes, sets the night up for, uh, for the rest of the comics as well. Um, many say it's the hardest job uh, on a comedy bill and I think it's absolutely correct and we talk a lot about that we talk about the, the pressures on, on the MC uh, to make sure uh, they set the right tone in the room if an act uh, does badly then it's the MC's duty to go on and sort of pick up the pieces and uh, make the room play playable again for the next act uh, in, in fact la- last time uh, in in um, uh, Danny played uh, Stand and Deliver um, I, I don't think I really help, helped him um, <laughs> one of my uh, my colleagues um, I, I won't name him Rob uh, it was helping me that night he was my chief of staff he, he fell over in the lighting box um, and uh, knocked out a vital plug that, that um, well is uh, powers the stage light so uh, uh, midway through uh, some material Danny was plunged into darkness uh, but he handled it like a, a true professional um, <laughs> in fact I, I seem to recall this happened twice in one evening. Um, uh, so he exercised great patience, and uh, um, I'm taking no responsibility for that. Uh, although it might have been my bag uh, that Rob tripped over. Uh, so yeah, we, we talk about all the pressures or the um, pressures uh, on a. MC at a gig. Um, we also talk about nerves and how how one can control your nerves before you go on stage and channel them into a useful form of energy like excitement. Uh, but it does it in a very matter of fact way. Not that, that sounded all a bit airy fairy and spiritual, didn't it? We, we we don't we don't start meditating or anything like that. Although uh, maybe we will in a future edition of the podcast. Uh, we had uh, great difficulties recording this uh, interview. Actually, uh, we were in Banbury for the longest. It was, this was recorded back in March. We were at a venue called Rock the Attic, where they did a three-day-long comedy extravaganza, a world record-breaking show that went on for three days, act after act after act, all raising money uh, for a local hospice. Uh, that becomes relevant uh, later in, in Danny's interview. Um, and we, we struggled to find somewhere to record it properly. Uh, I really need to think about these things a bit better. We first went out into the smoking area, uh, where goodness me there were people smoking and eventually a, a guy with with an absolutely hacking cough uh, sounded like he had pneumonia um great anti-smoking advert uh meant we had to then find somewhere else and we ended up just around the back of some bins down an alley and the alley made um uh, made a very good wind tunnel and uh, uh, danny almost had an altercation uh, with uh, some of the locals uh, so listen out for that later on in the in, in the in the chat um, so yeah but it's a fascinating interview 
I really enjoyed talking to Danny. Uh, talked about all sorts of stuff, and uh, he, he put up with the fact I, I couldn't I couldn't find a suitable location. Um, so. I'll just tell you a bit about what I've been up to recently. I've been doing not so much of the old stand-up recently. I've been taking a little bit of a break. In fact, we talk about that with, with Danny, really, because doing comedy as your full-time job, it's not my full-time job. I do a lot of it, yes, but it's not my full-time living, which means that when it does get a bit too much, or I just get knackered from all the travelling, I can afford just to not do it. Whereas if you're Danny Ward, he's on the road every single night because that's how he makes his living. Um, and we talk about the pressures of that. Does that ruin... Uh, the fun of comedy in any way. Uh, how, how do you deal with that rather strange lifestyle that comedians have? Uh, but I, I, I got a rather unusual gig uh, the, the the other Sunday. In fact, uh, there are not many Sunday night gigs as you might expect. But but I got a call uh, from uh, well an act um, and I got a call from from an act called Richard Lindsay who said. Oh, uh, they've had a drop out of this gig. Did you want it? I'll, I'll give you a lift. And I was like, well, there's no reason to say no to that is there and we drove to a little village called eversley which i'd never even heard of it's sort of on the outskirts of wokingham um and there was a full room a sold out room of about 40 odd uh, in this really nice little pub in the middle of well in the middle of nowhere quite frankly uh it was uh, promoted and emceed by an act called mark palmer um yeah the pot of, pot of gold is the name of the pub and it's just amazing to see that many people it's a new comedy club and I, I was I was really I was really enheartened by how like enthusiastic the landlord of the pub was at the comedy. He, he was help. He was worrying about the lighting and stuff like that. And that, that's brilliant because I always know um, that uh, some of my litmus test for if it's going to be a good comedy night or not is when I'm booked somewhere. I'll turn up. I'll walk to the bar and I'll say to the bar, one of the bar staff, "Where's the comedy night?" And if they say, "Oh, don't know," uh, then I know it's not going to be a good act, a good, good show because um, if. The bar staff aren't selling the act, then they aren't selling the show. Then who on earth is? Um, in fact, the worst response I got from bar staff was, um, uh, "I said, oh, is the, this was oh, this was a gig somewhere in Westminster?" I walked in into the bar and said, um, "Ouch, no, we're not doing that joke." I said to the bartender, "Oh, where's the uh, the comedy?" He said, "Oh, it's downstairs, but don't go. It's shit." I was like, "Oh, thanks." I'm one of the acts. I didn't do very well that night, <laughs> so maybe it was it was a it was a prophecy. Uh, but this gig in Eversley was great. Um, not the easiest for me though. Uh, but the, these these gigs are, are what make you learn. Uh, I, I found out um, a few minutes in that the crowd were very very much into. They really wanted responded very well to, to one liners, short snappy jokes, um, uh, blue slash rude material. And I don't really have much rude material, and I don't have that many or, or enough one-liners so I'd, I, I kind of win them over then I'd lose them again I'd get bored of one of my anecdotes I, I'd, I'd fight to win them back I'd lose them again and it was just like one of the most important things I think is ending on a laugh uh, because if your set goes really really well and then your last joke tanks then I, I really think you might as well have not bothered turning up because that's all they remember maybe that's just me being a pessimistic comic uh, but that's how I felt so I was kind of like alternating between losing them winning them over losing them winning them over um and oh i I didn't i didn't end in a big laugh and it's just one of those nights you 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 walk off and you think well they were a nice audience i can't blame them they were there for comedy there were lots of them um they they didn't it's maybe they didn't like my style my style didn't suit them but really i really felt i should have been able to do a bit more to 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 win them round uh but i I thought it was a great night um and and you, you get off stage I didn't think I... I wasn't 
like, I wasn't a distraught when I got off stage, but I just got off off stage thinking, oh, actually, comedy's really difficult because they're a really nice audience. They're a nice audience. They're attentive. They weren't chatting, but at the same time, they seemed to have a very specific uh, idea of what they wanted from the comedians. Um, and I, I just don't have that large repertoire. I can't go like a, a comedian who's been going for like 20 years can go through the big file Rolodex thing in his brain uh, and go like, oh, well, they seem to be going for this. We'll do a bit more of this. I, I could do it to a limited capacity. Uh, so I, I just got left the stage thinking, oh, oh comedy's really hard, isn't it? Oh dear! Oh, I've got to keep going because <laughs> maybe you know I'll come back to a gig like that, and hopefully I'll have uh, more weapons in my arsenal, so to speak. Although that's the wrong analogy, isn't it? It shouldn't be a fight. It, it, there is this weird combative thing about comedy where it's comics versus the audience, and really we're all in it with the same goal. We want people to have fun, and the audience are there to have fun for, for the most part. Um, people might turn up at comedy nights and behave atrociously, atrociously because they're drunk, but very few people turn up to a comedy night with the one goal of just being miserable. I mean, that just doesn't happen. So already there's some some there's some sort of chance of you, of you succeeding there anyway. So yeah, that's what I've been up to in uh, the most recent couple of weeks. So it's time we heard from our guest... Um, from the biggest comedy clubs in the country uh, to do a back alley in Banbury with me. This is Danny Ward. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. Hello, brothers. You right? Yeah, not bad. So you were... What time did you go on? It's it's all a blur to me. I was on at 10. Weird time to do comedy. Now, 1.20 in the afternoon, so it was already three and a half hours ago. Is it? Wow, time's lost all meaning. And outside Edinburgh, it's unusual to do shows at this time of morning. Um, is it a different vibe to Edinburgh, though, do you think? Uh, I thought it was quite like an Edinburgh show today. Oh, a vibe of Edinburgh, yeah. You said it mentioned it felt like a bit like a casino, when no one really knows what, what time it is. Um, I know I was happy with that, that time frame, 10am. Uh, you would, have you done some journey during the middle of the night? I've, yeah, I've done one at 2am, I then did one at 6pm, and I just did one today at 5 to 9 in the morning. Yeah, how was the 2am one? They were really, really drunk, but in a nice way. I thought they were going to be aggressive, but they were just really, really silly, and were making silly noises and stuff. So, like, And what was weird, if you kind of said something, and I'd said one of them, oh, I bet you're worrying about whether you left the gas on or not, and his mates acted like I'd really slammed him, and everyone was like going, ooh. So it was really, really weird, and it just seemed... I had a head start because I was sober, and I'd had a few hours sleep where they hadn't, and they were smashed, so you could kind of just run rings around them they weren't that yeah they weren't really on it no that's um, that's that's a good lesson in um, staying sober when you're doing stand up gives you the edge have you ever drunk before going on lots like um, potentially once or twice but uh, um, that's not best practice <laughs> maybe in Edinburgh a couple of late shows in Edinburgh that's, yeah, because then, the, then sober becomes a relative term in those environments, doesn't it? And it's just, I've had three pints less than the audience, so therefore I'm all right to got, do the gig. I got pissed at a couple of jonglers as well, but they've closed now, so it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> so you've emceed for um, Standard and Deliver Comedy Club twice, uh, so I know you mostly as an MC. Is it, did you, because it's a very conversational style you've got, even when you're doing a set, it seems, did you start emceeing more, was that your goal to do emceeing more than doing just straight club sets? Or? Um, well, what happened was is I got booked to emcee a gig 
Um, I don't, well, I'd been booked to do a spot, and then they asked me if I could MC. It was uh, Halifax, and um, I was. Are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah. I was just really shit. Just don't tell my mum. Right, yeah. Are we allowed to swear on this? Of course we're allowed to fucking swear. <laughs> I said, uh, why, why would we not be allowed to swear? Sorry. I, I'm, I'm quite tired too. Um, so I, I went on, I ta- I, it was horrible. I was, I was emceeing, I just didn't know what I was doing, right? And I was like, uh, I basically went on and said, give me a cheer if you've been to the show before, give me a cheer if you haven't. And then just went into material. And it, it, I'm like... It was a long journey home with the other acts in the car from Halifax, just thinking that it hadn't gone well. And uh, so then I made a commitment to sort of uh, do more of it. Um, in Edinburgh, actually, is where I started doing it. So to do it more, but being do it more conversational and, and being more conversational within the, uh, with the whilst emceeing. It's good fun, in it? Just chatting shit to people. Yeah, because it's like, when, I, when I've done it, it seems like, in some ways, it's very low pressure because you're you're not no one likes you at the back of the room, and you can more or less do what you want. But at the same, it's it's quite high pressure and responsibility because you could mess up the whole gig yeah. by that's that's what worried. That's why, especially when I was doing, I haven't emceed anywhere near as much as you. But during my first couple, I just really felt the responsibility of well, if the next act doesn't do very well, then there's a high chance that could be down to me. Yeah. I, and I think the MC is the most important job on the bill. So if an act doesn't have a good set, then you can still sort of uh, bring the show back round. Whereas if the MC's no good, then it can just kind of jeopardise it for everybody. Um, and it kind of sets the tone, doesn't it, for the evening? You know what I mean? Like, I've seen some MCs when jonglers were going, like, people did immediately go out and sort of roast the audience. And then there's sort of this gladiatorial sort of feel about the whole thing, which is hard to undo, really. Um... The other thing, of course, is um, when people sometimes MC. it's nice to drop in a little bit of material as well so people get used to the sort of rhythm of it. Otherwise, it can often feel like a bit of a clunky gear change, like from fifth to second, if you like. From, why, why is he not taking the piss out of that guy over there with the boat back mountain shirt on? You know, it's, 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 it gets people into the, into the rhythm of it. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I feel when I'm MCing that when the acts do well, I think, oh, good. I feel sort of, yeah, I don't... You feel that sense of, uh, like, pleasure. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you've kind of built something for them to then go well, and... Well, I guess it just means... That, well, I don't know what it means. It just You think, all right, you've set it up nicely so that they can, they can you know, do well. That's, that's, the, that's what I guess I'm trying to say. You think, oh, phew. It's weird because I, I feel like uh, when I'm emceeing, I've got to be like their teacher and also their best mate because I've got to tell them to put their phones away and not talk. Yet I've still got to be mates with them and make them laugh. Yeah, you're knocking your head against a brick wall trying to tell them to put their phones away nowadays. It's mental. You notice that? Maybe not in your. your... No, no, de- definitely. Like it happens not so much in stand and deliver, but it, it's happening around the place. I just start politely calling people out on it and generally people respond like saying oh you're booking an uber or stuff like that but I, it's always a gamble i never know whether i i'm, I'm running the risk of i'll tell you this spoiling the yeah, mood yeah, by yeah, telling yeah, them yeah, off yeah, absolutely tell you totally that is the the gamble isn't it um generally i think people will think yeah that fucker needs to put the phone away but i think there's a culture developing if people don't think it's a bad thing just to just just get the phone have a quick check during the set uh, I mean I went to Copenhagen the other day and did a gig for 400 students at one point I counted seven phones up in it and uh, I was in doing a gig in Ashford once in this hotel the light hadn't been, wasn't right in position so it was not on the stage and it was lighting up the front table 
phone rings on the front table. This fella answers it while I'm on. And he goes, yeah, yeah, can't talk now. Yeah, maybe later. Okay, bye. <laughs> Why did he don't answer it? Exactly, but that, see, in his head, he was doing the, the right thing. So if you would, I mean, number one, he looks hard as fuck. I'm not going to mess with him. But also, in his head, he's done the right thing there. He said he can't talk. But it's, it's, it's kind of mental, isn't it? <laughs> I've seen someone um, read a newspaper in a front row before. I mean, I just didn't know what to do, so, so I, I left it. I think now, I, I think maybe I should have done something, but it was just so ridiculous. Yeah, I had a woman playing on an iPad the other day. Oh, yeah. Um, I had some playing on an iPad the other day, and I... Uh, is that going to be a problem with those guys turning up? Um, I am. Um, wait, where was I going with this? Remind me. I'm uh, woman with an iPad. That's it. So, woman with an iPad. Another one I've had is um, um, people falling asleep in Edinburgh shows. And of course, the problem with that is what you don't really want to do is highlight to the audience <coughs> that you've sent somebody to sleep. So, that's a kind of a tricky one. Generally, let's let them keep. Yeah. <laughs> that's a weird one, isn't it? Have you, you must have had to really make the call to tell off an audience member when I'm sitting. Hmm. <laughs> I guess I think I, my tolerance for it is definitely uh, dwindling about with, with, with the phones, really, and, and, you know, talking and all that. But, uh, like, when people are really drunk, it's like trying to rationalise with a dog, isn't it? It's pointless. So at this point, we fled the smoking area in preference to a back alley around the back of the Rock the Attic venue. Uh, and just to warn you, if you do have sensitive ears, it does get a little sweary at one point when Danny takes umbrage uh, with a member of the public. Right, we, we were in the smoking area. Oh, my headphones even working now. Oh, God almighty. This wouldn't happen to, like, John Humphrey, would it? Yeah. Pathetic. Like, we've moved to a back alley around the venue because there were people talking, how dare they, in the smoking area. And we're now... Um, Hiding. It's like podcasting's been made illegal. I mean, I, we're out by the bins, yeah. <laughs> and Danny's ironically on his phone, <laughs> even though he was complaining about punters being on their phone. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm multitasking here, Rodders. <laughs> I had to send. I just sent an email to Rory. Look, look, there's a, look at that sofa there. Look, going begging. Is that, is that your passport you just got out as well? Passport to success, mate. Hey. No, that's my notepad. Oh. So it's got all my, got my gold in there. Well, it looks like a poster, yeah, a, a, a passport, doesn't yeah, it? But it's just actually all my, uh, my words of wisdom. It looks, it looks like a passport, yeah. Muji. What I found, you seem like one of these acts that really love emceeing and see it as all part of, of like, there's no real line between doing a set and emceeing and there's all part and parcel of the same thing. But you, you, I get some actors, so I meet some acts where they're very good at emceeing, but they're reluctant to do it. And if you say, oh, I think you did a really good job emceeing, they go, oh, well, I didn't do any material. And they, they kind of are a bit blasé about it and they don't really want to MC yet they've been put in that position yeah I guess I mean some people well you've had this classic one where it's happened to a lot of comedians where after the show and you've MC'd and someone goes oh you're really good you should try stand up yeah that's weird isn't it that's why I like the MCs to do a chunk of material in the middle because then they obviously are stand ups yeah I mean I suppose most I mean does that does it need a chunk of material in the middle for them to sort of get the idea maybe not maybe, maybe it does I had never really thought of that but uh, um, I guess the uh, thing if you can MC is if you can MC you're going to get more work do you know what I mean is yeah, that wind it's another it's, <laughs> wind, it's, it's, it's the most problematic podcast oh, the, 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 last, the last four episodes have been so easy to record well, even if I uh, Paul left Taylor I sent him to um, the wrong I sent him to he was gigging at Reading University Student Union and so we we're going to meet before then and like I sent him to a industrial estate on the outskirts of Reading because the postcode I gave him was uh, to the PO box, not the venue. Well, fun fact: um, <laughs> uh, who's our man running this? Ryan. 
yeah. he gave me uh, the postcode to his house. <laughs> when I got here this morning, I was like, this can't be it. And it wasn't, it was his house, so... That's right ridiculous. So, you know, if he doesn't pay me for this gig... Yeah, go kick his door in. Yeah, we're not getting paid listeners. It's, uh, Just kick his door in for fun. Yeah, yeah, I always might my torches pub. Mm. But you're gigging in, in Birmingham tonight, yep. and you're all over the shop. Oh, because what I, what I think is, that when, I, when I think of full-time professional comedians, the thing I, the thing I like about what I do, it isn't my living... Uh, so if it really stresses me out, then I can just stop, have a break, and, and then go back to enjoying it again. Does doing it as a full-time living, how do you keep it fun, and how does the financial pressure not stress you out in, in terms of... Because I find to write material, I have to just be in a frame of mind to write it. I can't go, oh, God, I've got... I couldn't imagine going, I've got to write another five jokes or I'm not going to be able to eat. Well, that, that, that's the first mistake you've made there. All you need is a 20-minute set. Make it tight and you can live off it for a decade, mate. So, um, I, you know, that's, that's one way of doing it. Um, the other thing is, is anyone who gets too stressed out by this hasn't had a proper job, do you know what I mean? I mean, you get paid to do it, but I, I won't have it that it's actual work. I just won't have it. You know, I mean, because it isn't, is it, right? I mean, what do you do for, what else do you do? Well, I now work in an IT call centre. Well, there you go. I mean, that's our graft, isn't it? But it's a different kind of pressure. There's nothing like the stress of, like, I don't know, I've, I've, you're more, obviously well, you more get, used to it. Do you get nervous when you do stand-up? Yeah, like beforehand, that waiting to go on, standing in the wings. Oh, I feel really sick some nights. Really? The good nights I feel really excited. Bad nights I feel, I sometimes I just feel really sick. But then once I get on them, I feel okay or good even, but sometimes leading up to it. I was so nervous waiting to go on at 2am the other night. The only difference between uh, fear and excitement is breathing. You reckon how so? Well, if you can control... It's, it's, it's all... The fear and excitement is the same thing pumping into your body, isn't it? It's adrenaline, yeah? So you've got to just harness that. Breathe through it. Keep that heart rate nice. Good pulse. Plenty of oxygen and that adrenaline. You can lift a car needs to be when that adrenaline is pumping through your body hmm. I'll try it but it's, it's a very particular type of stress though isn't it comedy I think it does, it's a pressure like no else at least with my IT job it yeah. finishes at five and then I can yeah, just it's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle isn't it like it's rather than a, just a job I guess in as a, you're never not thinking about it it's also probably your social life and you yeah I take that point um, I guess uh, the, the the thing is it's, it's do you, do you like enjoy performing? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's, I'm li- and I'm liking it the more the more I do it. And now I'm I'm sort of reached a point where I'm not as scared as I was. Yeah. So that makes doesn't mar the enjoyment so much as it used to. And now it feels like yeah, I'm just enjoying it more, and it becomes more addictive. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I call it apathetic caring when you go on stage. That's trademark though. So if anyone has a get, I'll come after. Them. But it's like. Um, you know, you, you, you do care, but at the same time, if you look like you care, it kind of undoes you. The best thing is to go on there with an attitude that appears to be, you know, free-flowing. You're looking at me shoulders, someone coming at me. No, no, just, someone taking the bins out. Right, I was going to say, because they can't be behind. Do you know what you do? So, so I'll have them. Yeah, you put the leg out like that, back up through the, in the groin area. I'll ask them if they've got a minute to talk about Jesus and then I'll run away. <laughs> um, where are we going then before that? What we said about comedy being a being a lifestyle and how and enjoying performing yeah, and enjoying, caring enough yeah, but not too much. Yeah, apathetic caring, that's it. Yeah, caring. Like, of course, you want it to go well, but at the same time, if you can be freewheeling and you know, cool, you know, 
grooving, then it's, uh, that's the secret. And I know when I'm like that on the stage and when I'm not, and when I feel that I'm the, being the comedian I want to be. Because I guess there's a hell, there seems to be a healthy pressure, because like, I used to really beat myself up when I screwed up, but then I thought, hang on a minute, like some of these comics have been going for years and years and comedy's really difficult I've only really just started when put up against them so of course I'm not going to do very well and there's going to be nights I, I muck up like how do you balance because what's the healthy amount of pressure do you think to put on yourself well I don't know what it's like to muck up so <laughs> <laughs> well if you could put yourself in the mindset of a mucker-upper <laughs> some buffoon <laughs> some amateur the um uh yeah it's um I mean, how much pressure is there to put on yourself? I guess the thing is, if you... I mean, if you're tanking every single night, you give it up, right? Don't you? It doesn't, like, yeah, you would. Unless you're so thick-skinned, you've become yeah. delusional. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I guess, you know, if, if you find out, well, this isn't actually for me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stinking the, the joint out every night, it's probably best to give it up. Well, here's the thing about stand-up. It ain't easy. Like, it's easy for anyone to get up on the stage. Like, that, you know, physical, right, here we go, write some stuff, go up and do it on stage. But to actually do it well and to... Uh, for, for it to go well every night. Have you read the Steve Martin book, Born Standing Up? No. It's good. He, he said, he says, like, anyone can be great once, here and there. He said, the secret is to be good every single night. That, that consistency. Because, of course, what you get remember is when you're at sort of, you know, a certain level of comedy, no one knows who the fuck you are, you have to get that from the very second you go on. You've got to buy their confidence in you. You know, they've got to, they've got to think that, that you're funny. Whereas if you're a well-known person, then they're going to already think that, you see. So... It's very, very hard at the coalface to go on and grab people and think, oh, yeah. But if you do it right in the first 30 seconds, then the rest of the set should be a piece of piss, generally. Because your style, it's interesting, because you seem to tread that really fine line between you say some quite abrasive stuff, but at the same time are really friendly to an audience. Was that just developed by trial and error? Because what, 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 what abrasive stuff? I don't know, when you, you, when you, when you said stuff about the... What, what? When I told that guy to fuck off? Or? Well, yeah, well, it's, it's more stuff like that, or if there's, there's something... Yeah, about the hospice? Yeah, or, or it's just stuff like that. You, I like surprised myself with this thing about the hospice, actually. I won't lie to you, that isn't the normal thing I said, you know, that I would say. Um, it just popped out. And, of course, yeah, you just have to do it. I guess it's just that glint in your eye thing, in it, I guess, or... You know, it's it's because they should know it's jokes because it's a comedy yeah, night. But it's yeah, yeah. there's a certain slight when you told that bloke to f off, like that's. Uh, but you can do it the way you can play. It's like mock anger, you know. So it's like they can tell that you're like, and then you, you know, fuck off, fuck off, and they, so I guess they can sort of tell that you're having a laugh. But the thing about the hospice was when I was saying, you know, why are we raising money for people who are nearly dead? I mean, that's a really horrible thing to say, right? But did you see the laugh I got when I asked that woman what she did? She goes, "I work for the hospice." I mean, that was you know, that was proper. A you know, very, very nice moment. Really funny moment. Yeah, like you couldn't have sort of you planned that. No, no, totally, no. That's what, and that's what I like. And that's, I guess, the pleasure of emceeing and the pleasure of having a sort of a freewheeling style. Because you can't do that. You can't go into the audience and chit-chat around like that in, some, you know, in a big club on a Saturday night, really. You've got to bang it out. Especially when people are drunk and, you know, there's a huge room and whatever. And a lot of them might not be particularly... Oh, listen to that cunt there. Shall... Oh, yeah, for... Sorry, mate. Yeah. How can you... like, if you're going to heckle, you should at least buy a ticket it's and enter the building. Like, he just walked by the venue and me. yelled, not even funny. Do you know what? I might go and have that. <laughs> no. It's not even funny. Just walking past that. Yes, like some people, you know, some people just just don't have the decency of a common dog. <laughs> that's the problem with the great contradiction with stand-up. It's an art form that's aimed at drunks. <laughs> like, what were we thinking? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, you know, laughter juice. Um, it's you know, it lo- loosens the cogs, doesn't it? A couple, but yeah, I mean, uh, one, you know, once, yeah, 
They weren't even drunk, mate. Them not just walked past that. I don't think. They were like seventeen, I think. Um, but like, there must be. We must be able to. <laughs> must be able to stop human scum. I just hate the general public. Yeah. <laughs> but there must be. Um, I've been thinking like this. There must be a scientific exact number of units an audience needs, um, booze-wise. Um, if you know what I mean, like, because do you want them to be loosened up? But you don't want them to be. <laughs> like they are in there today, like, absolutely parrot. Like you don't want to be roaring drunk, but that, that's, so there must be an exact. Someone should do an experiment. Uh, yeah, two, three pint, maybe. Don't know. Depends yeah. on your tolerance, doesn't it? Because you couldn't have units. It has to be. It has to be weighted against your tolerance, your size, how much you've eaten that day. There's quite a lot of variables here, mate. You're gonna have to get some big funding for this. And there's the placebo effects. Apparently, they did an experiment where half a party were given non-alcoholic, and half part of them were on actual booze, and they both acted as stupid as each other. Yeah, but it was Foster's, though, wasn't it? You know what that's like. <laughs> it's all fizz and no um, beer, as they say. Mm. Who says that? I don't know. I'm just making up strap lines. So, you're, you're going to do more of your wheelbarrow town, your your. YouTube uh, TBC, sitcom TBC we're, um, we're in pre-production on a couple of exciting projects at the moment obviously I'm just uh, uh, moving into the uh, summer period so Edinburgh Festival will take a, a lot of uh, up the time preparing that show Dansplaining get it Dansplaining yeah that's very good because it, it, it meant to rhyme with mansplaining and now you've you know, you've Dansplained the, to me like I've been outfoxed yeah there you go it's good, what, what's, the per- what's the goal with Edinburgh this hmm? what's the goal in Edinburgh no I mean what's the goal in Edinburgh for you this year raise enough money to pay for a new washing machine excellent <laughs> could just nick one I could what could nick one I'm not Scottish oh that's very true but yeah so is it just a it can't be a financial thing Edinburgh surely no man it's you know who knows listen it's the dream factory in it some people go out there spunk 10 grand and think they're going to be you know top of the world if you don't play the game you can't lose but at the same time how many more bumps have I got on my bump card in terms of going up to Edinburgh you know 40 in a couple of years yeah, I mean, every time you go up there, really, you want to be making sure you nail it. But realistically, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to crack some skulls, take some names, have a good time. Woo! <laughs> there are a lot, we were saying earlier, a lot of comedians are into wrestling. Yeah. And like, I didn't realise this. Loads. And like, loads and loads. Because it's all sort of OCD, and it's sort of on the spectrum, you sort of type of thing, isn't it? Like in wrestling, I think. It's all showmanship and kind of showboating and escapism. Escapism, it is uh, the constant roadshow, travelling from town to town, you know, the last remaining circus on earth. And it's also this idea of kind of suspension of disbelief. Like when you go and watch a good comedian, you'll forget that they're saying that for the 10,000th time, probably, that it's like off the top of their head. In the same way that when you watch wrestling, you'll actually kind of forget that they know how it's going to end. Yeah, and like, yeah, it doesn't seem to. And even when you know it's all predetermined, it doesn't seem to mar the theatre. And people say, "Well, soaps are fake; they're all actors and actresses, but they're still watched." Mm. Yeah. Well, this is it. That's the argument. Like we all love. People say, "Oh, you know, it's fake wrestling." Yeah, but like, so every single movie you've ever seen, apart from documentaries, even a lot of them are, if not made up, then quite heavily scripted and sculptured. Inside a note, I once worked on a, a TV documentary, Gene Simmons' Family Jewels. It was like it was like you know the Osbournes. It was like that, but for Gene Simmons, that kiss. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that stuff, mate. They they didn't really go and visit a castle when they came to England. Well, they wouldn't have. They were driven to the castle to be shown around it. They didn't really just stumble upon a play park where he would like get on the swings. They drove into the. Play so park. what were you doing? Were you like a producer on this or producer? Nice one, runner, runner. runner. Yeah, he's runner. I tell you what, I was driving a sixteen seat minibus, which to this day I'm not even entirely sure I was into. Life more driver than a runner. Runner driver is the term. Runner slash driver. Um, I mean, that is a term, that runner driver is a, is, a, is a term. Anyway, so I'm coming in this 16-seater minibus just about to pick up Gene Simmons and his crew. 
I think Gene Simmons might not have been in actually. It was the American crew. And, you know, um, I'm coming around the Mark Story car park at Heathrow. Freaking don't, I misjudge it, take a window out of this 16-seater minibus, glass all over it, just as I'm about to pull up to the sidewalk, as they would say, and let, get them all in the car. So I had to, I, I, luckily I had a bit of gaffer tape on me and a copy of the sun. don't know where I got the copy of the sun from, so I used the copy of the sun to, 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 to block up the window. Just Jesus. So, and that thing was it was almost word for word scripted, or <coughs> yeah, did they just script? Yeah, they're, they're, they're basically, yeah, it's very heavily sort of like um, formatted, put it that way. Because rock stars must have boring days, and if you did a fly on the wall documentary and James exactly. Simmons is just in his pants watching golf, Counting it would money. spoil the illusion. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Yeah, that's quite the point. So it has to be sort of has to be done. Okay, well, I feel I've held you hostage in this wind tunnel long enough, so where can, where can people go out and find you? DannyWard.org, man. That's your one-stop shop online. Wicked. For all your Danny Ward needs. Wicked. Thanks, man. Cheers, buddy. See you later. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. So that was Danny Ward uh, coming to a comedy club near you, no doubt. All right, I thought I'd tell you quickly before we go uh, about some of the things I've been doing outside the world of comedy. I seem to be uh, going to rather a lot of murder mystery nights for some reason. Uh, it's all right, though. I enjoy it because anything that involves putting on a silly voice and showing off, I'm all over. It takes me back to my uh, years I did in an improv comedy troupe. Uh, so last night I was at a... Uh, uh, sort of a Wild West cowboy-themed murder mystery at one of my friends' house. She always has a murder mystery to celebrate her birthday. And, uh, well, it was great fun. I was given the character of Alonzo Craven, who was uh, like a card shop. He'd go from uh, town to town, cheating people out of their money. And <laughs> just generally, I, what I did, I sort of watched a bit of Gone with the Wind and ripped off some of Clark Gable's uh, uh, lines and, and sort of his whole demeanour. Although, substitute his charm with me just going around being rude to people and berating them for not wanting to gamble with me um and like my character was basically one of the main red herrings so everyone suspected me uh <laughs> the trouble is uh, two of the guests uh at this party that their actual day job were police officers <laughs> and they took it very seriously uh that they'd basically turned it into a crime scene investigation and at one point they were convinced it was me so the two coppers ganged up and arrested me <laughs> took my toy gun off me marched me into the living room and just started interrogating me I mean, I really hope that is the closest I ever come to being arrested. It was it was frighteningly realistic. So I guess the moral is, if any of your friends are police officers uh, and you're doing a murder mystery, make sure you invite them. They, they add a terrifying sense of realism to proceedings. Um, and then also, yeah, I was I was challenging people to games of cards. And even though I don't actually gamble, I don't know any I don't I don't even know the rules of poker and so somebody took me off on uh, an offer and we both suddenly realised the only card game we knew was Snap so we sat down and had a very manly game of Snap in uh, uh, my friend's uh, lounge that was done up to look like a saloon bar Uh, so yeah (laughs) so when not doing comedy I can be found at murder mystery nights uh, across the UK (laughs) right so let's do some comedy highlights then from my my personal gig diary and I'll also tell you what's going on at Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. Uh, two quick highlights. On the 1st of November, I'm at Rumcom in Camden. It's uh, in an, it's in the basement of a really nice Italian restaurant. Uh, you can find the address and everything just by going to rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S.com forward slash gigs. Uh, it'll be my second time appearing there. It's a new night, uh, but it's, it's really promising. Uh, there was a nice audience there last time, and they do the most amazing rum punch. Uh, two things I like, rum and comedy, and they're bunged in 
into the same evening. And on the 8th of November, I'll be performing at my own comedy club, Stand and Deliver. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. And on the 17th of November, I'm really excited about this. I'm performing at On the Edge Comedy at the Carolina Brunswick in Brighton. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully going to be catching up with one of my old comedy pals, James Benison. Maybe we'll uh, record one of these episodes with him. That's, that's a very good idea, actually. Don't know why I didn't think of that sooner. Uh, anyway, at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club, up above Smoking Billy's in the centre of Reading. There's all sorts going on. By that, I mean we're having our usual show. On the 8th of November, our headliner is Angus Dunnican. He's incredible. I've seen him before. Otherwise, I wouldn't book him, would I? And he's, he's very, very exciting to watch. Terrific storytelling and a genuine comedic awareness, said three weeks. Uh, he's well worth looking up on YouTube. Um, and to, Well, just go buy a ticket. And it's going to be hosted by Juliet Myers. I watched Juliet Myers. Uh, well, I've seen her a few times, uh, but last Friday, but complete by accident, uh, I went to watch the, uh, the the comedy in the cellar bar in Bracknell at, a, at an art centre called... Um called South Hill Park and uh, she was absolutely amazing did the uh, spot before the headliner really won the crowd over uh, she's got a very very chatty unique style uh, loads of stories she can tackle anything from anecdotes about her dog to feminism and it's all blooming funny so well worth watching and uh, well I'm putting myself on as well this night I- I'll be doing a spot because why not my club my rules uh, I don't perform my own club very often so I'm going to and I don't have to justify myself so go to facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night click the big blue book now button and secure yourself some tickets for the 8th of november all right that's pretty much it for this episode thanks very much for listening please 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 leave a review a couple more of you guys have been uh, clicking the five stars button on itunes that's very very helpful but next time you do it please write a little review as well because it works double but i'm grateful for any downloads and any attention at all you give this podcast if you're enjoying it let me know and then i'll do more of them uh, quite frankly excellent uh, this is rodders signing out for the stand and deliver comedy podcast we